Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. The Old Testament reading is from Daniel 12, verses 1 through 13. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to it, or many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard but did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. The New Testament reading is from Revelation 22, 1 through 17. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of, from, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will, the, will there be anything accused, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants shall worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, 
and they will reign forever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Thanks. This is the word of the Lord. Feel like, what have I just walked into? Angels fighting, the end of the world, stars and skies and time and times and half a time and all sorts of crazy apocalyptic language. Isn't this the stuff that we have matured past? Aren't we, aren't we educated enough at this point in history to not have to deal with these silly absurdities? Well, uh, for one thing, no, the good, one of the good news is that we at CBC just walk through books of the Bible. And so we've been in Daniel. And so whatever is going to come in Daniel is what we are going to preach. Uh, rather than trying to sort of manipulate a passage to what we happen to want to say. And so we've come to Daniel 12, and here we are. Michael the angel is fighting, and other things are happening. But the other, the really uh, good news about this is that we may think it is irrelevant or crazy uh, that there will be an end to the world, and we can know what it's about, but... I want you to reconsider why you think this is so irrelevant. Why would it be that the end of the world or judgment day or the apocalypse or whatever stereotype you may have of that, why do we write that off so easily? What is it about the assumptions in our world, in our mindset, in our perspective that 
makes them seem so? Well, I think for one, the, maybe one of the biggest reasons for us, I know especially for me, is that we feel pretty content now. We're doing all right. We need to make a few little adjustments, but all in all, the world is going okay, my life isn't that bad, and so heaven seems to be a solution to a problem I don't have, or just a nice sort of continuation of the way I'm living already. Is that you? Are you just content with the status quo and don't really long for much more? Or, and maybe this, these last two years with COVID and all of these discussions around racial reckoning, maybe we are very aware that we are not content. It has become increasingly aware, but Earth is still our only hope. Do we expect heaven, or does that just make us into frantic, frantic, anxious, busybodies? This is our only hope now, and we better get it before we die. We better force it, whether it has to come through violence or not, but I'm going to get it now, because this is my only hope. Is that where you are at? Does it become a kind of hopeless drive for now that we know will not satisfy? Well, if both of those perspectives are ultimately wrong, then I think this passage has a lot to say to us. Then it is very, very relevant because we should want a better option, right? If those are the only two options, either the world is going pretty well now and I'm going to stick to it, and I don't need the end. I don't need a judgment day. I don't have a desire for anything better. Well, then that's probably naive and foolish and blind. Or the world is all I got and I'm going to fight for it till death. Then that's also pretty hopeless. Maybe there is a better option. We, I think, need to face up to the reality that, okay, it's okay to not be content. Maybe we need a kind of reality check. Yeah, there's a lot of things really screwed up in me and in the world. For me personally, I do not face that very well. I am totally the type of person who wants to massage over what seems to be wrong and be like, okay, it's all right, we'll move on. I don't want to face that. It's not as bad as it seems. But what if we had the courage to face all of the evil and injustice and the sin in my heart and say, yeah, I want heaven. A desire for heaven is right, and I want to know more about it. How will that change my approach to this reality? That's what we have in store in this passage. That's what Daniel has revealed and that is what ultimately we get to see in Christ, why this can actually be incredibly relevant and life-changing. So let's pray and jump into the passage. God, we do pray that your spirit would illuminate the word. You have, you have done so much 
that the word tells us about. You have written it down, and yet we still need your spirit to open our hearts that we may receive it. And so I pray that you would do that now by just according to your promises. Pray that your spirit would comfort us and that it would also challenge us, that you would reach through our stubborn, stiff-necked hearts and that you would also comfort those who are weeping and broken. Lord, we praise you for this day and we ask that you would be among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So with the conclusion of the book of Daniel, let me just bring us all up to speed to remind us where we're at. The book of Daniel is all about the Jews, Israel, living in exile. So it starts with the Lord using Nebuchadnezzar. Remember this part. This is, that's very important. Using the evil king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to punish Israel and bring them into exile. And exile is really bad when your hope is in the land, when your hope is in this temple that you have to sacrifice in order to come close to God. You need to be there until God actually brings you out. And so it's all about how can God's people live in exile. We have seen ways in which Daniel has uh, suffered. Daniel and other Jews have suffered. We have seen ways in which they have succeeded. They get on the good side of the king sometimes, and other times they are punished, thrown into the lion's den, things like that. Chapters 10 and 11 are something of a strange chapters in, in Scripture because they go into incredible detail about secular kings and secular wars and secular alliances. And there's a lot, a lot of detail as if to say God is doing all this, God is in charge, he is sovereign. Even when it seems like everything is going wrong, he is still sovereign. And then the chapter 11 sort of ends with this, there are going to be good and bad kings, and then there is going to be this incredibly evil king, a kind of antichrist figure emerges that is going to exalt himself be above all other rival gods and claim himself to be God. And that is where chapter 12 starts. And then Michael comes. Michael's called a prince. He comes when it seems terrible, when it seems like the evil has gone from bad to worse. And then Daniel is supposed to take comfort. Michael. Is anybody named Michael here? Michael's a great name. It means who is like the Lord? That's the name of our, our prince here, our angel fighting on behalf of God's people. And so Daniel, this first point that I think he is meant to receive is he is to take comfort and he is to rest. We first want to consider what does it mean to rest? Is that a word that you ever think about? It's very elusive. You think about it, but it seems very elusive, rest. Well, God seems to be in the business of comforting Daniel here, and there's several different ways he puts it. One, he simply says, seal up the book, meaning don't worry about what you don't understand, Daniel. Uh, did you catch that, by the way? Daniel, Daniel's receiving the revelation. He says, I hear, but I don't understand. And, and, and God says, it's okay. Seal it up. You don't need to know all the details right now. 
Daniel is told he doesn't have to know. So sealing up, make a picture of scroll, and you roll up the scroll, and then you imprint a seal on it, right? And so you don't need to know all the details now. Daniel, just take comfort that the Lord is the Lord, and you are not. You are about to die. You have run the race well. And we get this picture of Daniel almost just sort of fading off into retirement. I mean, he's old now, 90. Um, and God wants him to know that this suffering that you have just heard described, some of the suffering that you have already experienced, will be temporary. There's going to be some huge battle as if an angel is fighting on behalf of the people, but it will be temporary. There's going to be suffering and purifying, and, all, and it's going to be short. And so you have this symbolic language. Time, times, and half a time is apocalyptic speak for three and a half years, not seven. You don't want anything to last for seven years, because that means it's going to take forever, because seven is the complete number. He created the world in seven days. This suffering only is going to happen in three and a half years. So don't worry, Daniel. Take a breath. He wants to comfort him. Do you see why what God is telling Daniel would be comforting? He gives a lot of details about some things that are contemporary to Daniel, some things that are about to happen uh, in the next few hundred years. Many, many details about the Persians, Alexander the Great seems to be referenced, other secular kings, all of these details, but then not clear how it's going to end. Why would that be so comforting to Daniel? Well, he's being told that the, the evil and the injustice that he seems to be witnessing and going through is not going to last. And just knowing that, knowing that with certainty, should comfort us. It should comfort you. Without jumping into all of the details, at some point, we have to come to the limit of our understanding and say, okay, you are God and I am not. There should be access for us through knowing that to real rest. And if you are bucking up against that and saying, come on, preacher, that sounds so convenient to just stop asking questions and rest. Okay, we're not stopping here. This is not the end of the sermon. We don't do the seven-minute thing here. Sorry. But you have to come at some point. You have to go through the rest of God. There's something at the heart of being a Christian that you do not have to be like the rest of the world and it's frantic, anxious, always having to be busy because this is my only hope type of mindset. You don't have to be dependent upon what is being accomplished in the world. You need to learn how to wait. And I know who I'm talking to. But you still have to learn how to wait and rest. Even at the very end of the passage, where he says, 
Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end. That's the only detail he gives. 1,330, what's that? Well, the 1,290 right before that, that's the three and a half years. Symbolic. It's going to be short. And God seems to be saying it's going to be short, and then you're going to have to wait a little bit, tiny bit longer, and then it will be the end. You've got to think Daniel's like, that doesn't really help much. And that's the point. He wants us to depend on him. To depend on God. And so at the heart of being a Christian is saying, first, I can do nothing. To this equation, we, I bring my sin. That's how we start. So practically, I remember very, very much so, especially early on as a pastor, I had to learn over and over, I am not essential. I was like looking for this relationship, this one person that I was going to share the gospel with that nobody else could. Maybe they're from Indiana and they're into cycling too. And they also read a lot of Kierkegaard and that's how I'm going to get my in and no one else is like that. No one has the same background to relate to that person and that's why I am so essential to them. But you are not essential and neither am I. God does not need you. How's that for a pick-me-up? <laughs> but it's really good news, and it has to start that way, because the grace of the gospel is totally free. Totally free, and if you don't get that, then you don't get the gospel yet. It starts with being free. Because all you do is receive it, and that is restful. You come and buy something that has no price. Revelation ends with the, you are coming to the water of life without price. We think if it's free, it's, it's going to be worthless. And it's the opposite. He wants us to take those things that we th think we had to bring whatever that currency is, and burn it and say it's not going to buy the thing you thought it would. Rest, Daniel. Take comfort it is not dependent on you. The end will come, but not yet. So rest. Okay. But that is indeed the first point, not the only thing that is to be said. Maybe that's the most important point for you. I don't know. So hold on to it. But the other side of rest, I think, for, for Daniel and for the Christian is to rejoice. This is not just rest, shut up, you can't do anything, sit back. It is rest and rejoice. What do I mean? Where do I see that? Well, it's because the end that God is talking about is going to be very, very good and just. So verses 1 and 2, in the midst of the worst battle, remember the background is this incredible, incredibly evil uh, king emerges. The spirit of the Antichrist, it seems to be. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found 
written in the book. It seems to be the book of life. As many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There, by the way, clearest, most distinct passage in the Old Testament, I would say, about the resurrection to life and the resurrection to death. It gets hints at all over the Old Testament, but here we have one clean verse that then gets clarified to a great magnitude in the New Testament. But David, is, I mean Daniel, sorry, is told the end will be deliverance, and it will be just. But then he gets a somewhat bizarre revelation, and right after that in verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, or the expanse. He's using the same word as Genesis 1 back in creation. Shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And now we're back into apocalyptic symbolic language, right? What does it mean to shine? Does anybody want to shine? Lewis, in the, in the essay that I quoted from, he asks, does anybody want to be like a light bulb for eternity? Is that what we're going to be like? Just going to be really bright? Well, we know that God is the light. We know that he created, he spoke the stars into existence for his glory. What do we think is going on here? Why would this be such an incredible promise to Daniel? You will shine like stars. Well, Lewis tries to understand it. I'm not sure if this is exactly what Daniel is after, but I think it's somewhere close. He says, in one way, of course, God has already given us. He's given us stars, and he's given us the morning star, which Jesus in Revelation says he is. He is the bright morning star. You can go and enjoy the gift on many fine mornings if you get up early enough. You can see the star in the sky. What more, you may ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more. Do you? Are you in touch with that? Do you want much more than what you have been given? I hope you do. We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it, into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. Is that... I think that he's getting at something really deep there. You see a beautiful sunset and you think, that is incredible. And you want more, but you don't know what to, should I, what do I do? And it's meant, we are told all of nature is meant to point us to the greater glory of God that we are meant to be united to, to be one with That's why nothing else will satisfy you. Because you were made for something a lot more than this world. You were made for God. And hallelujah, because Daniel doesn't exactly understand what 
his revelation means, but Jesus and the coming of Christ in the Gospels and in Acts makes it a lot clearer. And this is just a wonderful example of the old gives us shadows and the New Testament gives us the full reality. What do we see in Jesus? Well, we see from the beginning he is inaugurating. He is saying the kingdom has come. That's how he begins preaching. March 1, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. It's come because the king is here. This kingdom that Daniel was told it's going to come in a short while. Just go and rest. We are told in Jesus, hallelujah. It's come. All over the Gospels, all over Jesus' ministry, after the resurrection, the apostles finally understand what has happened, and they are preaching, they are witnesses of the resurrection. And so Peter can quote from Joel 2 saying, the cosmic thing that we were all waiting for, that the Spirit of God would come, has now come. Receive the Spirit and be baptized and go throughout the world, proclaim it is filled The apostles and their writings and teachings are filled with the kingdom of God has come. The lack of clarity in Daniel is finally revealed. His salvation has begun in Christ. Do you know that? We get very specific tie-ins in the book of Revelation to Daniel. And so in case you're not yet convinced of the connection to Daniel. So Michael shows up also in in Revelation 12. This battle that we were told about in Daniel 12 shows up in Revelation 12. And Daniel defeats Satan and he casts him to the earth and Satan is going to persecute the church. But guess how long it's going to be? A time, times, and half a time. It's the only other time that that phrase is used In Revelation, it's after Michael throws Satan to the earth and the church is going to be persecuted and yet nourished by God. And then in Revelation 22, which we heard read, part of what Daniel is told is, do not seal the book. Now is not the time to seal the prophecy. If you seal it, the punishments that you just read about in Revelation are going to come to you because now is the end. That's amazing that the writer of Revelation, John, is actually told the exact opposite of what Daniel is told. Why? Because Christ has come. He's began the end. It's really that simple. Do not seal it, because now is the time for it to go out. It's been revealed. It's been unveiled. We rise on the coattails of Jesus. We begin this rising of the everlasting life that we are told about in Daniel. And so we started there with rest and comfort. I can do nothing. I have died to my old self. It is no longer I who live. That is where we start. But now, what do we say? Yet it is Christ who lives in me. I can do nothing on my own strength, but now I can participate in the everything, in the kingdom of God, the one thing that endures. It is now Christ who lives in me. That should fill us with joy. And so joy is all over the New Testament. Because the end has come. What else is there to wait for? 
other than what we know by faith to be revealed by sight. But we know the content of it. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy. What does Paul say over and over? Rejoice in your suffering. What does James say? Count it all joy that you are suffering. Jesus himself even prays before he goes to the cross that I want my joy, think about what Jesus is saying, my joy to be complete in them. We share in the joy of God himself. Does that characterize your Christian life? Because a joyless Christian is really a contradiction in terms. It is like a square circle or a four-sided triangle. It doesn't make any sense. But, of course, we have to be careful. Joy is not a personality. Some people seem to be joyous all the time. Well, they're just happy-go-lucky. That's not necessarily joy. But we can't let our personality become an excuse for sin either. I think this is what I do. When I get critical or cynical or smarter than thou perspective that I can fall into, it's not joyful. And I think, well, that's because it's my God-given personality. I'm not as happy. Now, that's just an excuse for sin. Is that you? Do you you struggle with rejoicing? Because if you do, you need to dig into that. You need to figure out why. Are you afraid of being fake? Are you afraid of seeming weird? What is it? Because there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have joy. It doesn't make sense in the New Testament. So we rest, and then we rejoice. We rest. Do you see how they're kind of the two sides of the same coin? Because we can rest depending on God. It's not our own work. And we rejoice because now we see what God has done. Hallelujah. Christ has come. We rest and rejoice because if we depend on God, we depend on his work that leads to the fullness of joy. But then there's also a lot in this passage in Daniel that also gets filled out in the New Testament about what? About suffering. So I think the sort of sequence for us is rest, rejoice, follow after. Rest, rejoice, suffer. I couldn't think of a third R, sorry. You can remember that, you're smart. With the end that Daniel is told to take comfort in, He says, there will be a short, but there will be a time of suffering. It would be for a time, times, and half a time that the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. All these things would be finished. This is what we read in Daniel verse 7 there. Chapter 7, earlier on, was the, the revelation of Christ, the Son of Man, receiving all authority and power back in chapter 7. And he, but we are told at that same time, he, this sort of antichrist figure, shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. 
shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for how long? A time, times, and half a time. But there will be this time. So what does that do for us? Well, part of, I think, the rest is that we're not surprised. So if we are experiencing suffering, this should not rattle our cage at all. It shouldn't cast us even into doubt. If anything, for a Christian, a Christian should be able to handle suffering because it's obvious in the New Testament that it's going to come. So this, again, I think, over and over in the New Testament, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you will be persecuted. Rejoice in your suffering. There's no such thing as a joyless Christian. Well, there's no such thing as a Christian who just, has a, who just coasts to heaven. That also is an oxymoron. Jesus, when he is talking about this very passage in Daniel, when he is talking about the end of the world, in Matthew 24, not only does he reference Daniel and quote it, he also says there's going to be these wars and rumors of wars. But the end has not come yet. People will come saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, go out there, he's out there. And it, but it has not come yet. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up, put you to death. You'll be hated. This should surprise us. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. That, I think, is the sequence. I can do nothing. I can be a part of everything through suffering. You see a very similar sequence in Philippians 3 when Paul is talking about these, these magnificent things that he, he had accomplished, that he was as a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, blameless to the law. But what does he say? He leads up to say, I count all of these things as rubbish, dung, manure. In comparison, so he starts by saying, I can do nothing of what I thought I was going to accomplish. I can do nothing. But that is now rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. But I have not yet attained it, he says. And then he goes right on to say that he must share in the suffering. If he wants to know Christ, he has to know that all things are nothing apart from him, that Jesus is everything, and that if I want to know this Jesus more, I must share in his suffering. He's going to press on towards his goal. So, of these three... If we think of it as a sequence or a sort of dynamic sequence of these three, which one do you naturally struggle with the most? Are you, do you typically, are you the more like restful, almost theologically obese, if you will, just like I've got it all together and God's going to come anyway, so I'm just going to chill? Is that you? probably where I'm at most times. If I struggle, it's probably in that slothful. Are you the, the, the frantic, anxious Martha type where you are busy, 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 and if I'm doing something, then it's good. It means I'm accomplishing something for the kingdom of God. 
Is that you? Maybe you, it feels like you're suffering, 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 but then you realize, oh wait, I'm just building my own kingdom, I'm doing it in my own image, and you need to go back to why does it start with rest? Why does Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest? He says that right after he curses those who deny him. We do need all three of these, but I think we need to lean into this discontentment, this longing, this fate being courageous enough to face the reality. Yeah, there's a lot of things that is lacking that shows me that the kingdom of God has not come now. That shouldn't surprise me. It should not startle me. It should not make me anxious or doubt. Because I'm told it's going to come. Of course it's going to come. Jesus hasn't come back yet. But the kingdom of God will come. It does come. And we are way better off than Daniel. We are not just hearing a nebulous prophecy from an angel. We are relying on the eyewitness testimonies of those who saw the kingdom of God in Christ. The resurrection is the proof that the kingdom of God has come by faith and will come by sight. We can know it. How much more than should we rest? Should Sunday, as it's supposed to start our week, we start from God's rest and it goes into this explosion of joy. Now nothing will get in your way. You will forsake all things for the sake of Christ. That's the sequence. Because it does come. Lewis, as he puts it, we will get to please God. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, he says. To be loved by God. Not merely pitied and not needed either. Not needed, but loved. Delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is, he says. That is all captured in this table. Do you see it all in this table? That you can rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross? That he feeds you no matter what? If you are in Christ, he feeds you. Doesn't matter how your week went. Doesn't matter how much you did. He feeds you and strengthens you to go out and suffer and follow after him and become more like Christ. Because his kingdom is coming. Let's pray. God, we pray, come Lord Jesus, as we pray that more and more people will come to the water of life that is without price. We know we need you. 
even as you don't need us. We want to be caught up in your beauty and goodness and love and everlasting life. Give us the life that only you can provide. We praise you, Lord, and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.